Hi, I'm Jay John. Welcome to Facing the Canon. My guest this week is Dr. Michael Youssef, Senior Minister of Church of the Apostles in Atlanta with a global ministry. Dr. Michael Youssef, welcome to Facing the Canon. Thank you so much. I hope you don't shoot me oh, too hard. <laughs> no, it is our honor to have you, honestly, on the program. And uh, well, let's start at the beginning. Sure. You were born in Egypt. That's right. Now, there's a lovely story about your mother. Yes. Who was carrying you. Yep. Who was advised by the doctors yeah. to stop the pregnancy. Yeah. Tell us about that. Well, uh, I grew up in an evangelical home, a very uh, Bible-believing home. Uh, I, I still can't remember. Uh, I mean, I, I, I can't even imagine anything like this would happen now. But my father, because we were eight of us, eight children, and my father did not believe in democracy. Uh, the, he said, no democracy is in Egypt, so there was no voting. Uh, he said, if um, you need an opinion, I'll give it to you. <laughs> so family altar at 10 o'clock every night, it was just not, I mean, even my older brothers, 19, 17 years older than me, they would have to come home. They were successful bankers for the, I'm giving you that background because now that the godly, um, God-loving, uh, Christ-worshipping uh, uh, family. And so before I was born, they already had you know, six or seven kids and my mother's health really was not uh, at best. And three doctors have advised her, you must have an abortion. You cannot have this baby. Yes. Your health will not make it. He said, you might not even make through the, the, the birth. Well, she did and uh, you know, agreed to go and have the procedure with my dad until the pastor of our Wesleyan church that my parents belonged to, uh, came and knocked on the door early hours in the morning of the, of the operation. And he said, please don't go through with this. I was disturbed about this all night. And I believe it's from the Lord that he or she will serve the Lord. So a godly woman that my mother was, uh, she said, absolutely, I'm going to trust God. And if he takes me home, he takes me home. I'm going to deliver this baby. And so in the... 1948, I was born. And, and you were healthy, and your mother was healthy. Was healthy, and God gave her 16 more years for the joy and the privilege for me to know her and to see her, what a great prayer warrior she was. And that also, Michael, coincided with you coming and surrendering to Jesus. Yes, it happened that I gave my life to Christ. I was rebellious. I really rebelled. I just did not like the this whole idea this I, that I was called to preach when all my brothers are successful bankers and and uh, you know having uh, uh, suits flown in from Italy and 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 chauffeur driven cars and and I'm going to be what and so I thought if I rebel uh, I'll become damaged goods and God can't use me <laughs> and but miraculously God brought me to Himself on. Uh, the 4th of March, 1964, I gave my life to Christ. And, um, and was there a particular, what was the thing that connected you? Well, 
my uh, I tell you very 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 quickly um, my um, my older brother he's the third he was 11 years older than me he was literally the number two in in the federal treasury he, he was literally writing the, the national budget <laughs> and uh, he was as brilliant mathematician I was as dumb and I thought that if I did not know the story of my birth I think I was adopted because I flunked math, I wasn't very good, so I would go to him for help. Well, this time, he blackmailed me uh, in a godly way. Yes. He said, I will help you with this, because the exam was the next day. If you go to a meeting with me tonight, because there was a, a Lebanese evangelist preaching uh, in the revival. I said, well, I, said, I agreed, but I really had no intention of going. Finally, I, I said, I'll tell you what. I'll go with you, sit in the back. As soon as the service is over, I'm gone. He said, okay, that's fine. But as it turned out, he was, the preacher was preaching from the book of Hosea. And he was talking about a child that's going to be called Laura Hama, or I'll have no mercy. And he talked about how the door of mercy is now, but that door of mercy is going to be closed. And where will you be? And that immediately resonated with me. So instead of being the first one to bolt out after the sermon, I was the first one to come forward. Wonderful. And uh, gave my life to Christ, and, uh, and, and that was one of the most amazing things. I sat down, wrote a letter to my mother who was in the hospital, and, um, and told her about what uh, God has done. And so she kept that letter under her pillow. Literally, every visitor would come, said, read this. God answered my prayers. Now I can really die in peace. So she died in July of the same year. That's amazing. I came to the Lord in March. He died in July. And, um, and so I've always, you know, even though after her death, I kind of began to yes. waffle a little bit. I said, well, maybe I need to do this. I can serve God if I go and make money like my, my siblings, and, and um, I, I, I will serve God that way. But eventually, I had literally escaped from the country because the situation was really dire. That's right. You had there was the Six Day War. The six Day War in in sixty seven with Israel, as some people may know the story, but it was it was it was abysmal time. Yes. Uh, for anybody who's living in in Egypt at the time. Yeah, and so you got a temporary visa to go to Australia. To, well, no, I, Australia already accepted me as an immigrant. I was nineteen. wasn't even nineteen years old. And so I asked the ambassador, who was a friend of, of, of a friend, if the, the Australian ambassador, if they send my file to the embassy in Beirut. He said, oh yeah, no problem at all. So I got this temporary visa to go to Beirut. But if I had not left the country in 48 hours, everything is basically yeah. will be finished. It happened to be a Muslim feast holiday and a lot of people traveling. And they said there are 50 people who are waitlisted. But if I did not go on that plane, that particular flight, at 5 o'clock in the morning, I would not have been sitting in front of you today. No. 50 people. And there was only one cancellation. And when I heard the station manager at the airport uh, of the airline calling my name, I mean, it was the most... Uh, 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 amazing thing uh, is, is not really a good word. I mean, it's, it's supernatural, we know that. Uh, a distant relative that my brother wrote a letter to, he told him what time I'm arriving, and it was touch and go whether he'll meet me or not. I tried to get some hotel uh, 
uh, accommodation uh, and I couldn't. So I thought, I'll get there and find something. But he was waiting for me at the airport and uh, took me to his home for three or four days. That was on a Sunday evening. By Wednesday, I was in a job. I had a, I had a job in, in North Sydney working in a telephone company. That's right, because you met a clergyman who said, I know where to introduce you. you. Exactly. So again, more divine appointments. Amazing, yes. Because uh, there was a, a, a scholar, you might have read some of his books, named Ken Bailey. Yes. Ken Bailey literally was, he grew up in my hometown yeah. with my brothers. Yes. And so I knew him uh, very well. So I landed in... Uh, in Beirut, and I told him, you know, I'm on my way to Sydney. He said, there's only one place you need to go to if you're going to study for ministry, and it's more theological yeah, college uh, off on Sydney University campus. And I said, well, uh, he said, uh, it's an Anglican. I said, Anglo what? Because there's no many Anglicans, there weren't many Anglicans in, in Egypt to this day, very, very small minority. But the Presbyterians, they you know, they're very large. They're the largest Protestant group in Egypt, and that's where my background. Uh, so I, I, I took a, a Presbyterian missionary's word for it and uh, landed up, landed in Moore College with a letter of introduction to uh, Donald Robinson, yes. who at the time was the vice principal, Yes. later became the Archbishop of Sydney. Yeah. He was so, he and Mari, his wife, literally took me in and uh, like part of the family, and they, they were acted as my parents two years later at my wedding. Amazing. Yes, and you met your wife, yes. Elizabeth. I met her the third week I was in the country. At church. <laughs> was, was it her mother that invited you for lunch? Right. She kind of felt sorry for me. <laughs> this man from Egypt, young man, <clears throat> I was 19 years old, uh, about to turn 20, and uh, so she asked me if I... Uh, have any place to go for lunch? And I said, no, not really. Would you like to come? And I said, yes. Normally, I'm, I'm very shy. I would say, yes. no, no, thank you. I'm fine. But I did go, and, um, and she rushed home, I guess, to get something ready. And the pastor's wife said, uh, this is Elizabeth Bailey who is going to walk you to the house. She's the daughter of that yes. lovely lady who invited you to lunch. And as they say, the rest is history. That was it. Yeah. yeah. And you've been married, what, 50 One years? years, yeah. 51 yeah. years. Yes. So you've got yeah. the gold medal. Yeah. So we, this was 53 years ago. Yes. When we met. So yeah. you did go to Moore Theological College. I you, did. You trained for the ministry. Yes. Yeah. You then... I was ordained, ordained in Sydney by uh, the Archbishop Marcus Sloan. I, I knew Marcus you, Sloan. You, you yeah. would, yes. But I preached and, and uh, he was a retired... Yes. And we, we spoke afterwards, and he was very encouraging. He's an amazing man. He, yes. he, 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 uh, I ran into him at the airport. He was 92. I was preaching in Brisbane, and he was in the same uh, plane. And I walked up to him. I didn't know he remembered me. He looked at me and said, how are things in Atlanta? I said, <laughs> so, Marcus, I'm so glad to see you. And, uh, yeah, and uh, this is just one of those things, Sydney Diocese has been a blessing to me. Yes. Moore College has been a blessing to me. I dedicated one of my books to the teachers at Moore College who taught me the scripture and uh, to love and respect the word of God and to interpret it accurately. Yes. All of these things instilled in me that's something I owe Absolutely. to those men. Yeah, and it was building blocks. But then you, you, did you feel a call, you and Elizabeth, to go to America? What was it that took you to America? Well, initially it was, um, it was a, 
a, a feeling that I needed some more training and uh, there was a man by the name of Professor Paul Hebert. Paul Hebert was a cultural anthropologist, son of a missionary and a missionary himself to India. He gave up professorship at Seattle University, Washington to go to the School of World Mission. Yeah, at Fuller Seminary. Pasadena at Fuller. Uh, and I wanted to study under him. And then I received a scholarship. So we ended up going there to study. Meanwhile, I met uh, a man by John Haggai, and he just kept saying, "You need to come and uh, you need to you're going to succeed me." And I said, "Wait a minute, I'm I'm 30. I was I was 36. I was no, I was I was 28 <laughs> uh, when initially, <laughs> yes. yes, I was 28. Uh, and uh, but and we prayed. Uh, Archbishop Marcus Sloan had a, a place for me in Sydney. He wouldn't even let me resign. He said, "Take a leave of absence. Come back. I want you to come back." And uh, my wife uh, was only child, and our children were uh, her parents' only grandchildren. Yes. And so we really were, had a tug to go back to Sydney. Sure. Uh, but nonetheless, when uh, we felt God's calling to go to Atlanta and accept the leadership of this ministry, we, uh, we went there in 1978. And uh, we were there nine years serving there until God began to move in my heart to plant a church. Yes, so so if we just backtrack, you went to um, Fuller Seminary. Yes. Uh, you also then did a doctorate. Now what happened, I finished the master's at, at yes. Fuller, and then I moved to Atlanta. Yes. To, to take this. Uh, and With the Haggai yes. in Institute. And when I was in Atlanta, I applied for a doctoral PhD program yes. at Emory University. A dear friend of mine, Jerry Bevan, who, uh, Many people wouldn't remember. He was um, uh, really the kind of the ultra ego of Billy Graham in the early days. Yeah. He did the Harringate Crusade here in '58, and but Jerry Bevan became a very dear friend, and he said, "You know, don't do another degree in another Christian school. Go and do it in a secular university. That way, you'll have yes. credibility with the secular world." And that was a wise advice yes. because I went enrolled at Emory, and uh, it was a great opportunity for me to sure. to be in a in a secular environment, doing in social anthropology, which is totally different from preaching, but it really helped me understand uh, things that I would not have understood. I just been in the theology world. Sure. Yeah. But it, it is. It's all building blocks, isn't yeah. it? It's all little links in the chain. And as you said, you you then felt prompted by the Lord to plant a church. Yes. And. Um, that was in 1984, 85. The burden just became so, it got heavier by the day. And the more I said, Lord, this, I can't do this. This is not my, I don't know even how to go about planting a church. And the Lord said, well, just trust me and obey me. Trust me and obey me. In fact, I wrote my biography called Trust and Obey. Yes. Because that's really the story of my life is God said, you trust me. You yes. obey me and I'll do the rest. And he did. I know. And I can highly recommend the book. It gives you more details of the story, uh, behind the story. But tell us a bit about um, the Church of the Apostles. How did it end up being called that? Well, this is really amazing because, uh, uh, as, as everybody knows, the Episcopal Church has moved away from uh, biblical mores have they moved away from the third and nine articles of faith uh, moved away from 
Anglican Reformation and Anglican teaching, and uh, the church was drifting in such a way. But I thought maybe, just maybe, God is calling me to have a mission church in Atlanta, uh, to the up and out. Yes. <laughs> and those people I've been kind of befriended and in the 10 years I've been in the city, I got to know the business leaders and, and um, the, 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 the two bishops at the time said, you know, we got rid of evangelicals in this diocese. We don't want any more evangelicals. We're not going to start one. And I said, that's fine. If you say no, I, I, you can t- say yes or no, because that way I'll, that's my fleece. Finally, I said, okay, yes, do it, but don't leave your daytime job because you're going to fail miserably. Yes, yeah, so they weren't very encouraging. Oh, not at all. No. They, they just knew I was going to fail. And they sort of get it out of his system, and he'll probably go back to his job. And uh, w- w- then I said to one of the bishops, I said, well, I'm a man under authority, and I'm under your authority, even though you're not exalting me to righteousness. <laughs> but what do we call the church? He said, you know, you believe that gospel stuff and, and all the preaching of the apostles. Why do you call yourselves the church of the apostles? That's how really That's it, how it, it came, came about. <laughs> and uh, we ended up being called the church of the apostles. I said, sounds good to me. That's what we're going to be called. And, uh, and it was, I mean, the, the church now, as, as I see it, I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. The building itself. Yeah. Can, tell us a little bit about how many it seats. Well, we seat about 3,000 people. And uh, at, at the time when we were part of the Episcopal Church, when I said, <laughs> actually I didn't, some, one of my elders with, in whom I confided that God has given me a vision for a 3,000 seat, he told the bishop, and he became so mad and angry, he said, you cannot be bigger than the cathedral. It's not Episcopal to do that. Yeah. And I said, well, that's fine. And, uh, but it was, it was constant a tug of war, a tug of yeah. war. They, they refused to accept my preaching, and no matter... I point out to them to the 39 Articles of Faith, and the bishop says, that we, we don't believe those anymore. Uh, he, one time he said to me, he said, I feel sorry for you. I said, well, good. <laughs> Tell me why. He said, you are like a student who enrolled in college, and the curriculum changed, and you don't know about it. <laughs> he said, that's what you are in the Episcopal Church. The curriculum changed. We, we don't believe the Bible. We don't even believe the the doctrine, uh, original doctrine of the Anglican Church, we have moved away from all that. Uh, but you're stuck in the past. I but said, well, good. <laughs> but of course, you knew the original script. Absolutely. And the original script is the same, and God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Absolutely. So you pressed on. I did, and I would not compromise. I would not press. In fact, they tried to persuade me with positions and this and that. And I said, I don't do anything. No. I'm a pastor at heart. I want a pastor. I don't want positions. I don't want to be a bishop. I don't want to be yeah, any. You just want to pass the I people just want to pastor and people. lead people to Christ. How many people come to the church now? On the on, you know, we have about three thousand members, and our members are very active. They yes, uh, they they come. You know, in America, you can have a church of eight thousand people, but you only have eighteen hundred in attendance. Yes. That's yes. kind of the yes. the American Which way. You've got active people. Well, we actually got active people. Most of uh, Yes. We put our new members through the hoops, uh, and I tell them every time I receive 
uh, a group of new members, I thank them for their perseverance. Yes. But we want to ensure that they are members in the heavenly church of course. More than they're just members of a local church. Okay, so, yeah. And so interviews and testimonies and all these things are very important to make sure that they know Jesus, they love Jesus, and they're going to be involved, become Absolutely. active members. And so we have people, whether it be there 30 years or 30 days, uh, the ground is level. Yes. Yeah. And what I, I, I love about you, Michael, is that you think globally, yes. but you also act locally. Absolutely. And... Um, you, you set up Leading the Way. Yes. Uh, tell us a bit about Leading the Way. Tell us sure. about your heart and passion for global communication of the truth of God. Well, prior to planting the church, I was traveling the globe, literally going around the world three or four times a year, speaking on campuses, speaking in cathedrals, speaking in churches. So I'm, I'm, I've, I already have a global vision. And so when the Lord began to lay on my heart, a planting of a church. And I remember I said, Lord, how can I leave a globe ministry to be in the local church? And the Lord said, just trust me and obey me. And uh, so the, the global vision has never left me, but I just wasn't sure when and how. And again, God just intervened, brought people into my life and literally pushed me into starting a media ministry and, and um, and from the media ministry locally become the global ministry. I always had a passion and, and a desire to impact the world. You know, when and, I left... And I like, uh, sorry to interrupt so, you, Michael, no. but I like the little also divine stories. Wasn't there a story about a farmer who felt that he should sell his farm yep. and give you some, like a significant amount? Well, the whole amount. Yes. Yeah. When I was in the Middle East doing an evangelistic outreach one time, uh, I got the vision in, in 2004 that there's a need for a Christian channel, television channel. Between all four and March of 2009 when we launched, I went through a lot of, and I would say to the Lord, I said, well, forgive me, but I'm going to put a fleece. I don't have the money to start the channel, so I'm going to pray. If you send the money and somebody will say, this is specifically for the channel without my asking them. Yes, that's right. <laughs> then I know it's from you. And uh, lo and behold, a friend of mine from the Midwest called me. I've known him for many, many years. And he said, are you okay? I said, I'm fine. Why? He said, well, Lord just kept waking me up and disturbing me in my sleep about you. And I said, well, I'm doing great. He said, do you have needs? Do you have... Finally, it dawned on me, and I said, <laughs> well, I, God has given me that vision, so, but I told the Lord I'm going to wait until he proves yes. it. But he said, that's what it was, because the Lord kept saying to me, sell your farm and give the money to Michael. <laughs> I said, well, so as it turned out, he did sell the farm, gave us some money, and then how we launched Kingdom Set, Malakot in Arabic. Yes. It's in 194 million Arabic-speaking homes in, the, in North Africa, uh, all the way to Iraq. And uh, again, when we started, we just put few programs together, some from the West, some from the East. It was only a four-hour program, repeated or looped six times. But because of the response, now it's 12-hour programming every day, looped twice. At nighttime, so that everyone would watch the program in a prime time. 
What a wonderful investment that farmer made. Amen. He's a hero of the faith. He is. So indeed. now there there is biblical teaching yes. that is available yes. in the Arab world in their languages. Yep. Even the few English speakers uh, are, are translated into Arabic. Wonderful. Uh, we have a team in Atlanta. They're all from Syria, from Egypt, from different parts of the world, happen to be in Atlanta, So, and they've been in, in, in this type of ministry. So we assembled the team, and they're excellent in translating and either dubbing or just the subtitling. And so we were 50-50 East-West <laughs> English Arabic. Now the English is about 10 to 12%, and all the other programs, there were Lebanese evangelists, uh, North Africans from Algiers, Morocco, Tunisia, uh, uh, Iraqis, uh, Egyptians, of course, a lot of Egyptian, uh, because that's the largest Christian population of 15 million. So there are many Christian leaders in Egypt that we put on air. And what, well, um, I know many uh, people who are from a Muslim background. Yes are having dreams yes. and visions yes. seeing Jesus. Yeah. And they tune in yep. to your teaching. Yep. And when you talk about Jesus, they go, yes. That's the that's one I saw the, in my dream. That's the one yes. I saw in my dream. Yep. Yeah. And and it's really, it, this movement, it's the Holy Spirit movement. It wasn't organized. The people were praying for it. I, I know many of them started in 82. They said, Lord, we cannot evangelize outside the walls of the church. Uh, so would you show them dreams and visions? So then it started and then took off even in Indonesia, all the way from Indonesia to Morocco. People seeing dreams of Jesus coming to them said, I love you, uh, including an ISIS uh, leader uh, in the Middle East. Uh, he's now an evangelist. Uh, he saw a dream of Jesus and, and the blood dripping from an envelope that he handed him. And, and he called one of our uh, uh, lines and one of the follow-up teams. And, and it was just amazing stories, I can tell you. Thousands and thousands of people coming to Christ. And I been invited to be on an Arab satellite. And so when we asked, you know, I mean, we're Christian channels. Yes, we know that. And they said, but we watched you for years and we know you do not attack us, you do not attack our religion, you don't attack our prophet, you don't attack anybody, you lift up your Jesus. And I said, that's the vision. They got it. <laughs> they really got it. I said, the vision was kingdom sat, Malakot sat, is to lift up Jesus and he'll draw all men to himself. And that's just been a, a, a remarkable journey. It has been a remarkable journey. Oh, uh, Dr. Michael Youssef, I could talk to you all day and uh, our time is up, but thank you so much for joining us pleasure. on Facing the Canon. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Ah, wasn't that wonderful? Honestly, I, I, I could talk to this man all day just telling stories. Well, the good news is there's a part two with Dr. Michael Youssef. Please join us next week as we continue this conversation. Thank you very much for joining us on Facing the Canon. You've been listening to the J. John Podcast. To find out more about J. John's ministry, visit 
canonjjohn.com and follow him on social media. Will my dog go to heaven? Why do people die before they are old? Where are dinosaurs on the ark? How do we know God is real? Why does God let bad things happen? That's a good question. J. John's children's book gives understandable answers to important questions. Get your copy today at canonjjohn.com, available worldwide.